Welcome in, Fight Fans. This is Ryan McKinnell in for Jimmy Smith. And on today's Unlocking the Cage, we got an interview with Extreme Couture head coach Eric Nixick about Sean Strickland's win at UFC Vegas 47. We also talked to Ty Tuivasa at of his UFC 271 co-main event against Derek Lewis. And we also catch up with MMA Fighting's own deputy editor, Sean Oshadi, as he discusses the lengthy career of MMA pioneer Roxanne Modafferi, who's making her retirement fight this Saturday at UFC 271. Give it a listen. Check it out. It's Unlocking the Cage on a Tuesday. Head coach at Extreme Couture, which means he's the head coach of one Sean Strickland. He is Eric Nixick joining us on a Tuesday. What's up, Eric? What's up, Ryan? How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Sun is shining. You and I, well, we're only separated by a few miles here, but, uh, you know, we're getting past the uh, the doldrums of winter. Our smart poor souls here in Las Vegas, <laughs> right? It's 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 only 65 today. No, man, the sun's shining. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here talking to some of my favorite people. Got Kelly and Cobb on the other side, and we got you here on a Tuesday to talk about, well, I don't know how I feel about this man. I mean, half the time I love him, half the time I'm face palming. Uh, I think I share that sentiment with like half of the MMA fandom out there. Of course, I'm talking about Sean Strickland. One thing we can't deny, Eric, the man is a hell of a fighter and he's only getting better. I'm sure you were impressed with what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, I was very happy with him. It was very journeyman-like. You know, he didn't take a whole lot of risks, but that was kind of by design. You know, um, obviously you, you want to get in there every time and get the finish, but we knew what was at stake. And uh, I think we could have just relied on his jab alone and we could have won that fight. And that's what we re- really leaned on. I think towards the, towards the tail in there, you know, I, I felt like it was kind of a safe, um, you know, it wasn't like the, the going in there and knock this guy's head off or anything like that kind of attitude. But uh, I thought he did a great job to be quite honest with you. Well, I did too. And Hermanson is the type of fighter that if you aren't calculated and you aren't meticulous, it could cost you your winning streak. And, uh, you know, Sean, I don't know, he may act like he doesn't care about that winning streak. I don't know. You know what I mean? But that is obviously an important uh, factor. And when we talk about Sean Strickland and his ranking and everything that, uh, that entails, I share Bisping sentiments. I thought it was an outstanding fight. I thought the technical prowess he showed was great. I thought you were a highlight of, I'm not kissing your ass either. I just was chuckling, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the fight. You're, you're cornering. It is, it is, it was a great window into how you have to deal with each fighter differently and the personalities that you manage. I think at one point you call them a sick fuck. I mean, he kind of is, he's kind of got his screw loose. You, it, it's, a, I don't know, man. It, it, it just shows the sort of difference in the, I guess the, the care that it takes to be a, a head coach in mixed martial arts. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, playing quarterback at a young age helped me a lot with, you know, obviously having my dad as a coach, he always spoke to me about those things. He's like, you know, you, you can't, yeah. you can't approach everybody with the same, with the same tactics, you know, and, and uh, he always quoted Abraham Maslow. He said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then everything looks as a nail. So you have to be able to approach things differently. And, uh, you know, I think that's just, it's just a testament to our, our guys in the gym. It just, it keeps you on your toes as a coach and, you know, I have a standard. We, if you meet that standard, then I'll, I'll, I'll meet you halfway when it comes to your personality or, or the way you like to be coached and uh, just using the right tools for the job. Is there any worry that like that his personality might turn people off from like coming to the gym or anything like that? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I just, I just, that's, I, I guess that's just a question that I'm curious about. 
Um, yeah, I think that that is can that can be a, a case. You know, I work I work with uh, Bilal Muhammad. Um, I also work with Kevin Holland, and those guys have butted heads with Sean in the past. You know, and I think it might be a deterrent for some of those guys to show up to the gym um, and and get some work in. You know, I worked with Bilal a little bit for this uh, Stephen Thompson fight. And it was just more me and him behind closed doors because I just knew that there was going to be any problems. Um, and then Kevin Hall and I were yeah. great together. And, and it was something where I want Kevin to come out here. And if that's something that, or if I went to Sean and I said to Sean, Hey, look, dude, this kid's coming in to train with us, you know, and I want him to be a part of this team. So I want you to back off. Sean would listen. He would say, no problem. And the reality of it is, is, is Sean's like a, Sean's like a big old puppy dog. Like he really is like, he's a big goofy puppy that yeah. doesn't know his own strength, you know, or, or the, the amount of what he's putting into his words. His, and making pa- his power. Yeah, e- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like Sean, yeah. Sean had said that when Kevin was first going to come in, he's like, hell yeah. Like I want to spar him, you know, and it were Kevin took it like, Oh, you want to fight me? Like you don't like me. And Sean's like, no, no, no. I want to spar mm-hmm. you, you know? And so it's just his approach <laughs> and sometimes his demeanor and his tact. And those are the things I think as a coach for me, I, you know, I, I've been trying to work on with him. It's like, Hey, you know, the way you speak to your training partners, sometimes it's the delivery. And if we can help you with those things, you're going to get, you're going to get more, uh, more, more bees with honey, you know? So <laughs> that is okay. My mother said that that is one of the things that, that stuck with me in my entire life. But to your point about Strickland being a teddy bear or being like, you know, a, a different, you know, not exactly what the public sees. Uh, I, I think I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I think the public got to see that in the final 15 seconds of the fight on Saturday, where Strickland is toe to toe with Hermanson, calling him a pussy, saying "Let's fight," screaming at him, and then as soon as the bell rings, the biggest smile comes across his face. He gives him a big hug, and then he just—I mean—he lauds him with praise. And it wasn't like it felt like he was lauding him with praise because I just beat a good guy and I'm trying to hype myself up. No, you genuinely got the feeling that Strickland respected Hermanson and the battle that he had. I, I, I do find Strickland to be, I don't want to say he's misunderstood. I just, he, he's just a very, he is, he is a character unto himself and maybe he's still finding himself what he is. You, you know what he is, Ryan? He's a, he's a throwback in an era and generation where there's more access. So, you know, I've been here since 2007. Mm-hmm. There, we didn't have this type of social media or presence. So you want to talk about, Jay Haran and Mike Pyle and these boys in this gym, the, 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 these guys were the Sean Strickland of this era, but there was no cameras. There was no media. There was no social media to this extent like there is now. So, yeah. and Jay Haran told Sean this about a, a couple weeks ago. He goes, dude, I wish you were around when I was still fighting because you and I would have gone every round because that's his mentality. He's just like, he's an old school throwback. So, so now he's thrown into this kind of generation where there's so much, much access to him. People don't really gravitate yeah. to it in the way that you do. I love it. He raises the competition in the room. He makes everybody better. He holds people accountable. It's just sometimes it's the way that he says it. For me, I love that that tough love. <laughs> that I just been brought up that way. That's yeah. the way I was brought up. So yeah. I, I get it. I love it. But uh, certain generational people are like, "Oh, he's too rough. He's too this. He's too that." And they, and it can be right. You know, there's things that I think he oversteps the bounds. But goddamn, I love the dude, man. He's he's tough as hell and makes us all better. <laughs> Well, I like the idea of uh, him having someone like you uh, in his corner because he clearly respects you, and I think Strickland um, 
you know, we talk about the power he has. And I've talked about physical power. He, he draws attention in this sport, and that is a that is a good thing, right? Like, we want people uh, – and, and I'm not just saying we. I, I don't mean, like, you as Extreme Couture or his head coach. I mean, we as, like, people in MMA. We want stars. We want people to care about this sport. We want personality. Strickland has that. I believe, personally, it's misguided at certain points, but we were just talking about Joe Rogan. Doesn't mean it can't be morphed. Doesn't mean it can't change. Doesn't mean Sean can't be a better pers- version of himself while still keeping all those great sort of quirks and, and personality traits that Strickland has. Like, we love psychopaths in MMA, right? That's a, a sport of psychos. And Strickland seems to, you, you brought up Jay, um, you know, Martin Campman. I think, you know, the, the, having those tendencies is a good thing. <laughs> Just a little misguided at times. <laughs> No, I agree, man. And yeah, that I, I, I honestly, like, it just reminds me of the good old days in here. So he's just, he's definitely a throwback <laughs> when it comes to extreme couture. <laughs> he's, he's definitely, definitely a throwback. We're here with Eric Nixick, head coach of Extreme Couture. Man, listen, um, what do you think's next? I mean, I thought, uh, I thought he did a fine job of, of, of at least mentioning the winner of the title fight this Saturday. It would be quite a jump in competition. I don't think there's any uh, denying that, but we also can't deny. I mean, title shots have been given off less. Strickland is a sellable character. He is a good fighter. Do you think he'd be ready for a title shot in his next fight? Yeah, I do. I think he's he's right in that pecking order, and I think there's so much that can shake out this next weekend with the Cannoneer and Derek Brunson fight, depending on who wins that yeah. fight and, and yeah. which and what fashion. Um, and then let's not forget the you know if let's say, let's just say Izzy wins. And then Whitaker obviously is on the losing end of that side. Well, that, that leaves us another opponent that's possible for us and Robert Whitaker, you know? So there, there's, there's a couple of variants that happen here. If, if the, if let's say Brunson wins, he gets easy rematch. Now we have Cannoneer Whitaker who become open and about that same timeline because they fought a week ahead of us, you know, a week after us. So there's there, that, that everybody's kind of pegging Marvin and Casa as the only two opponents where there's, there's a, there's a basically a title eliminator coming up. And then the winner out of the title fight. So um, there's a lot of other options for us if it's not Izzy next. But, you know, I think Izzy gets to call that shot. It sounds like he's the one that really makes that decision. If he wins that fight, I think he can kind of pick and choose. Yeah. Um, sounds like to me, if Cannoneer wins, he's always had this fascination to fight Cannoneer. I would I would imagine if Jared wins, that would be the one he picks next because he's already fought Brunson. All right. I like that. I like that breakdown. Listen, uh, we're up against it here a little bit. We got Ty Tuivasa coming up here in a few minutes. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, uh, Eric Nixick, uh, at least a little bit of an update. Uh, any movement on Francis Ngannou? I know, obviously, he just won. Do you have any idea which way he's leaning, what we can expect out of him for the next? I mean, obviously, we know there's the injury. But in terms of boxing next, in terms of, you know, John Jones, in terms of the whole maelstrom of chaos that is surrounding this uh, this man, um, you got any updates at all yeah he's back home he went to cameroon uh he's gonna be home for the month and he's gonna come back in march and we're gonna get we're gonna get that knee surgery done uh we did have some contact with the ufc and they were very very accommodating they talked to us about you know hey taking some time and getting your leg figured out but it was i thought it was a very progressive meeting um but that's kind of where it was i mean that's where where we left it and then uh francis was go back home he's gonna hang out with some family and then uh he gets back to la i think first weekend of march we're going to take care of that cool. knee. And, and, and I know it's, a, it's, there, there was, I think it's an ACL repair, not a reconstruction. So uh, I don't think it's going to be a, like a, a year layoff. Hopefully he can seize, maybe get back in before the end of the year. 
And that's all depicted on what the UFC and him decide to do. So either way, man, I think he's in a good position. Um, you know, personally, Great. I would love to see him get in there and, and fight MMA again uh, before the end of the year. But depending on that injury and the way he responds, I think it's going to kind of dictate on what he's going to choose. I'm with you uh, in terms of him being in MMA next, just because the guy is getting better on a fight to fight basis. I think you're, you have something to do with that obviously, but it's also Francis just being so young in the sport still, which is crazy to think about because he's, you know, he started so late. It's just, uh, it's a wild story. The Francis and Ganu one in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's been really fun to uh, follow. And I always love when he goes home to Cameroon because we always get the videos and we get to see how much he means to those people. And man, he is a, he's a special individual. Eric, Eric, thank you so much for the time, man. You're always so great to me, to this station, to the show. We really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sharing some time and some thoughts on a Tuesday, man. It is appreciated. Hey, Ryan, anytime, my man. It's good to see you, brother. Glad you're feeling better, too, brother. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Taito Ivasa, ready to go here on a Tuesday. The Shuey King, he is also the co-main event of UFC 271 this Saturday. Going down, looking to add to that winning streak. Ty, welcome into the show, man. Thanks for giving us a few minutes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I appreciate you uh, joining us, especially in the midst of fight week. I don't even know. Do you cut weight for heavyweight? Like what's your, what's your, uh, what's your situation as a heavyweight? Uh, yeah, I cut a few kilos, but, uh, nothing too, nothing too hard. Not like these, uh, these skinny fellas that, are <laughs> <out> here. <laughs> well, brother, just gotta, you, just gotta well, stop you, you eating. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't see me, but I'm, uh, I'm like 240 pounds. I'm rotund and pink and round. I'm a big fella. And the reason I asked if you had to cut weight is because, well, um, I always, I doubly appreciate fighters taking time during fight week to chat uh, when they're cutting weight. That goes even more for the heavyweights because, man, like, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, we, we love food. I, so I'm just, I appreciate the time even more, Ty Tuivasa. Thank you, brother. Uh, thank you. I just, I just sit here and watch, uh, watch food uh food blogs all day every day and just can't wait to eat <laughs> shut up do you really do you actually do that you torture yourself yeah, like that yeah. oh Why yeah it's that? kind of like a i don't know it's like a, a carrot I like dangle the carrot and uh, just think of eating fried chicken <laughs> after after i after i do it <laughs> <laughs> we just talked to Eric Nixick, and, and he was obviously coaching uh, Sean Strickland over the weekend on Saturday, and he was calling him a sick fuck. You're a sick fuck, Ty Tuivasa, sitting there oh. torturing yourself like that. I don't have that type of self-control, man. That's loony. Yeah, I'm, I'm not normal, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no. We've we've gathered that time to Ivasa. That is the quote of the show. You are not normal, but that's why the MMA fans, the UFC fans, uh, love you so much, and that's why I think on some level you're in the co-main event this Saturday. Derek Lewis, man, listen. I know these media days. I've been doing this for 15 years. You're getting all the same questions. It is a pain in the ass. I know what it is, but 
This is a big fight for you. You know what this is. This is Derek Lewis. This is the co-main event. You're sitting there watching food blogs and teasing yourself with fried chicken. Um, <laughs> I just is I it, it, on, on any level is that to uh, I guess alleviate the moment. How are you dealing with the pressure of this being? I mean, it is the biggest fight of your life, right, Ty? Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's definitely the biggest fight of my life. But I don't really get. Uh, I don't really get pressured or I don't really feel uh, anything like that, you know what I mean? Uh, I know it's ahead of me. I know it's going to be a hard fight and I kind of I kind of love that. So it's it's uh, it's really no pressure on me, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a win-win. Uh, he's the third best fighter in the world and I think that it's a great opportunity for me to, to go out there and prove myself. Well, that's what you've been waiting for, right? I mean, you, you had the three losses in a row a few years ago. You built yourself back up, and to be into this position, um, this is why you do what you do, I would imagine. Exactly. It exactly is. So when you look at a, a fighter like Derek Lewis, obviously you know the danger uh, he presents. You yourself, a dangerous fighter. You obviously have incredible power. Um, you know, I, I think Kelly said that there, there, there's nothing better than a great, exciting heavyweight fight in the UFC, but there's also nothing. There's nothing more disappointing than a heavyweight letdown. We saw it in a Derek Lewis fight with Francis Ngannou. What are you personally expecting from this matchup with Lewis come Saturday? Uh, yeah, I, I've seen that, and I, I agree with that as well. But um, uh, you know, I think that this this fight's going to be different. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to go out there and. and uh, do my do what I do, and I'm, I'm bam bam. I'm going out there to bam bam someone's head, so uh, you know. And I'm sure he's going to be out there to take my head off. So I think it's going to be good, and uh, I'm definitely going to bring the fight to him. Wow. I have uh, no doubt about that. Bam Bam, Ty Tuivasa joining us on a Tuesday ahead of his showdown with Derek Lewis, co-main event at UFC 271. Ty, I been around this sport a long time and I've always enjoyed fighters uh, like yourself fighters that seem to not only you know embrace the moment and sort of I don't enjoy the spotlight but also guys that you know I'll just put it this way no fucks given right you seem to be cut from that cloth uh, you remind me of like a cabbage Correa, right like a tank Abbott some of these guys that you know came up in the early years that were just there there's there to fight and I don't mean that derogatorily I mean that as a compliment Ty I, I'm curious you obviously come from a fighting culture you, you definitely seem to love to fight uh, as we get to know more about you like growing up who were some of the fighters that you looked up to and and I'm not going to say model yourself after, but that kind of like grabbed you and, 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 you know, made you want to be a fighter. Well, for example, like you said, take Avid. I used to love watching take, but uh, I thought you know, <laughs> he's, he's a, he's a blue up, but um, my number one would definitely be Mark Hunt. You know what I mean? Mark Hunt took me in at a, at a, at yeah. a younger age and, and he showed me, he, 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 you know, showed me the world and, and I traveled with Mark and, and he was really the one that, you know, that made me think, you know, I could really give this a good crack. And, uh, you know, these, these fighters, the same background as me, except for, you know, it's in our blood. Uh, and we come from a fighting fighting culture, you know what I mean? So I love it. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I love to go out there and try and prove myself and, and, you know, and try to better myself every time. Well, when you talk about that, the 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 the, the culture you come from, 
um, Oceana in general, uh, just kind of the whole the whole region. I, I know you're a prideful guy. Um, how much do you think about that when you walk into the octagon? Uh, it's very, it's very, <clears throat> it's very big on me. I like to represent my area. I like to represent my country. Uh, and I think that that's what kind of makes me as a person. And definitely every time I, I know I'm on TV or I'm not there going to represent, I, you know, I'm carrying, I'm carrying them with me. So I'm always trying to do the best and, and trying to represent in the, in the best way possible. Well said. Well said. Ty Tuivasa joining us on a Tuesday. Ty, I'm going to get you out of here on this. And listen, man, I, I know you've been asked uh, plenty, uh, I'm sure, from various outlets and everything. I, I heard you I heard you mention John Jones. I've heard you, uh, you know, throw a few different names out there. But obviously, you know, you go out there and you get a win on Saturday. It would be the biggest win of your career. It would be your fifth win in a row. Uh, it would undoubtedly jettison you into the top ten. Um, I, I, I think John – I don't know if John Jones would happen, but I do think you would have the ability to have a pretty big fight up next. Um, what – I mean, what are you looking for, assuming you get a, a – a great victory over Derek Lewis on Saturday. I, I, I'm just curious how you're going to approach your next fight because that next fight, I know this Saturday is the biggest fight of your career. Well, that's going to be, assuming you win on Saturday, every fight after that's going to be that. So what are you? What are your plans for 2022? Well, I'll be looking for the closest bar, that's for sure, uh, first off. <laughs> and then... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then, really, it's up to the it's up to the matchmakers, man. That's not my job. Uh, my job is to come out there, <clears throat> perform, uh, make the fans happy, and drink beer. Uh, and then, other than that, that's really out of my control. But uh, yeah, you know, John Jones and stuff. That these are names that people have brought up, and I'm a fighter, man. I'll, I'll fight anyone. So it, it, that's my job at the end of the day: is to, is to rock up, be prepared, and, and put on the show for the fans. Don't we know? Don't we know? Have you Googled or like Yelped bars close to the Toyota Center? Do you have like, have you plotted your <laughs> your post-fight celebrations? <laughs> uh, not not as of yet, but I heard that uh, the Super Bowl <laughs> is on Sunday, so I'm sure uh, Sunday will be a big day as well. Oh, my goodness. Shoeys for everybody. Shoeys for everybody. Tied to Ivasa, man. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. I know you got a big week ahead of you, and you obviously have a huge fight on Saturday. We'll just wish you the best of luck. We will be watching, man. Have some fun out there, all right? Thank you, brother. Always. I appreciate having me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ty. Inside the Green Room with three-time NBA champ Danny Green. The trading deadline, as you believe, is going to come and pass, and the roster will relatively be the same. If that means Ben Simmons coming along, then that's what it means. Do you think there's a possibility yes. of him actually doing it? I think so. I think if trade doesn't go through, I couldn't see him sitting at home the whole year. I couldn't see him missing out on a total check. Don't miss an episode of Inside the Green Room with Danny Green every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast deputy editor of MMA fighting one of my favorite voices in mixed martial arts and hey maybe uh my future agent lord lord knows i need one <laughs> Sean Alshadi joining the show right now Sean what's up man <laughs> my man it is good to be back bringing us in with some Layla too the superior version of Layla i'm always yes. hearing people say the acoustic version is better like come on that's you can't possibly believe that that is so much better 
Yeah, that's that's all lies. There's uh, lies abound. Now that is the jam for sure, and I'm glad you liked your uh, intro song because we always love bringing you on. We are hyped up. Obviously, 271. Sean uh, is talk of the, the the MMA world right now. Big co-main event between the heavyweights. Obviously, middleweight title rematch in the main event. But there is a story on this card that, for whatever reason, was not getting talked about uh, largely enough. You've got a piece out right now on MMA fighting that is gaining traction. I'm so glad uh, that it is. It is a retrospective, I would call it, a career retrospective on the great Roxanne Modafferi, who is having a retirement fight this Saturday at 271. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the stories that had sort of slipped under the cracks, and it was unjust in my mind. I mean, this is someone... Roxanne Modafferi is sort of the story of MMA and in particular women's MMA. She was doing this back in the day in 2003, 2004, when there were very few women who were doing this on, a, on any sort of level, whether it was a professional level, amateur, anything like that. And, the, and her story is just the, the arc of her career is really the most incredible arc, right? Because it is someone who, who was a pioneer in the very beginning of it. She sort of lived through the dark days. She herself had a little bit of a rough patch midway through her career. It looks as if she might've been done. And then she re she revitalized it. She evolved with the times. And at this point she is the last OG from that true first, first era of women still standing. And it's just utterly incredible. And also, I mean, you see in the piece, uh, if you, if you guys get a chance to read it, just one of the, the best humans in the entire sport, like one of the best humans in any sport. Like there is not a, a bad word that anybody in MMA has to say about Roxanne Montefiore. There are all sorts of great stories and anecdotes in there uh, of just, you know, her being an awesome person. I would say what just one of the best people period outside of sports, just a great human being. I mean, you can't say enough good things about this woman. Also, uh, I mean, a bit of an, an anomaly when you think about like evolution of this sport, this this is not a backhanded compliment. I I don't I don't want this to sound negative, but Roxanne has pretty much been the same since she started. That's part of why she was a pioneer. She did it so well to begin with, and if, if she kind of followed, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. She knew what she was good at. She never adapted her personality. She's always been a wonderful yeah. person, but she's always found ways to come out victorious by being true to herself she she never really changed her style she was always kind of a grinder she was always tougher than her opponent there's a lot to there's a lot to like about Roxanne no absolutely I think you, you said it best right there but also just the the element of she never got jaded and I think that is incredible yeah. in and of itself because especially coming from that time I mean some of the women in the stories share some stories about how, the, the difficulties that they had to go through just even getting acceptance within the MMA community itself not even just the wider world at large and yet Roxanne Modafferi always greeted everyone with a smile she always rolled with the punches and she was always just happy uh, to talk to you happy to be there happy to just be involved in this thing that she loved and it was a very Bushido warrior spirit type of honor uh, you know, approach that she took to this. And it, it is just so unique. And I, I think someone in Jeff Osborne, the hook and shoot founder says in the story, you know, if you don't like Roxanne Modafferi, like, I don't like you, like, I, I don't trust you as a person. And I, I can't trust your opinion. If you don't like Roxanne Modafferi, it's just, she is a true anomaly, as you said, and she's one of a kind. And I'm glad that she is getting a chance for people to say very nice things about her as she sort of walks into this final fight against Casey O'Neill on Saturday. 
dogs and Roxanne Modafferi. If you don't like either one of them, <laughs> I don't trust you. That is a fact there <laughs> from Shad Shadi. Uh, but no, man, it is true. Like she is universally beloved. It's a part of her attitude. It's a part because she's just been around forever. I mean, you talked about it. I mean, you went deep, man. Hook and shoot. Uh, Tara La Rosa. I mean, this was a fascinating look at a career that, as you mentioned, Shaw, definitely uh, deserves to be celebrated. And and I, man, it. Yeah, I've talked about it with Misha before, and, and some of the other women as pioneers as 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 well as you uh, have as well, um, as well as you have as well. Jesus, try and get it together. But. Amen. The point I'm trying to make here, Sean, the spirit of uh, the point I was trying to get to, Roxanne, much like Misha, uh, started at a time when not only was the money (laughs) not there, and boy, was it not there, there was no promise of that money coming. UFC President Dana White said women will never fight in the UFC. So there was no title. There was no big payday. These were women that did it for themselves. It is... At the heart of mixed martial arts, it is one of the more fascinating sort of narratives that we have experienced in the last 15 years covering the sport. No, absolutely. And that's one of the, one of the reasons you just you have to respect the women of that era for doing yes. this because they were truly doing it for the love of the game. They were in all of these cliches you always see people throw out, in particular when people talk about like college athletics or like MMA even still today of like, oh, you know, why did you sign the contract? You just do it because you love it. These women were doing it because they loved it. There was no actual money in it. And as you said, there was no actual future in it for a lot of them. And the fact that Roxanne was able to make it this long, last 20 years, and really see the other side of it and be able to fight in the UFC, I think, 11 times now. And she fought for a UFC title. And it's just, again, it's the last person you'd pick out of a lineup, this this, this super cheerful anime lover who's just, you know, a a big teddy bear to to almost everybody. She's the last person in a room that you would pick as as sort of this grizzled veteran who is this pioneer of this very brutal sport that we all follow and love. Uh, but she did it, man. She absolutely did it. And again, she deserves to be celebrated. Yeah, I agree completely. Now, Casey O'Neill is obviously the uh, the opponent on Saturday. Um, any chance, you know, Roxy gets this win in exciting fashion? You, you, I mean, you think you, should, you could see her sticking around in any way, shape, form or fashion? I mean, there's always a chance, right? It's MMA. How, how many times have we watched this, yeah. man? I mean, we, we know as, as best as anybody, there is always a chance. Yeah. We saw it just a couple of years ago when, when Roxy came in against Macy Barber, who at that point, I think that was UFC 246. Uh, so it was like 2020. And Macy Barber is being talked about as this big prospect, next potential you know, title challenger is coming up. You know, she has this hype around her. And Roxy came in and shut her down as I don't know how big of an underdog she was, but I want to say she was like a five to one, six to one, at least underdog. And she shut her yeah, down. I mean, massive. she is still, yep. you know, that savvy veteran who can catch a submission anywhere, who can grind a fight out anywhere. There's always a chance. Casey O'Neill, for, for my money, I mean, she's one of the best prospects in this division. She won Rookie of the Year for MMA Fighting uh, on our year-end awards last year. So it's definitely a tough fight. The UFC, as they tend to do, is not giving the veteran any favors on their way out. I mean, they certainly no. love to feed no. the, the, you know, the, the circle of life. They love to keep it going anytime that they're kicking somebody out the door. But it's always, there's always a chance in MMA. You never can say never such a nice way of putting it they always feed the circle of life it's it's you're not wrong it is but it's it is it is absolutely what the ufc does and you know what i uh 
I don't know how. I mean, sometimes I, I guess it always just depends on individual fight to fight basis. Sometimes it works out and it's a nice send off, and then other times it's just boy, this sport is brutal. But one thing uh, that we can agree on, if this is the the last fight for Roxanne Montefiore, which I, I think it is, and I think you would agree, um, you know, it, uh, a void is going to be left in this sport, not just for the women, but 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 for the men as well, for the entire sport, because there are a lot of unique characters in MMA, from Sean Strickland to Conor McGregor to, I mean, there's a lot of characters and a lot of personality for various reasons, some good, some bad. Tied to Ivasa, we just had him on the show, right? I put him in there. Um, Roxanne Modafferi, in terms of uniqueness, I would say stands above them all. Absolutely. And and I think that is one reason, final thing I'll, I'll go on this, is, is why she was such a pivotal figure in the formation of this yeah. and the development of this. And Jeff Osborne goes into detail in this in the piece of just, if you needed someone back then, in the early 2000s to sort of represent MMA and talk about MMA, in particular women's MMA, Roxanne was the best possible choice because she is just someone who you listen to her for two minutes and it opens your eyes to the type of people who can actually be in this sport. That they're all, that they're, it's not just this one, you know, homogenous type of person who's going to try to get into this, especially in the dark days when there's very little rules and there's very little regulation, that it really is a, a world that opens, that is open to everybody. And that, you know, all colors, all creeds, everybody, every type of personality is welcome here. And she was that person for a long time. And again, that is very important. Genki pseudo brother. We are, we all are one, right? It is a there continuation of that at some level. Yep. Do your homework kids. I know you're you're listening. You're like Genki Sudo. What? No, just just go do your homework. We're old. We're old. Uh, the story. The story is happy trails to the happy warrior. Twenty years of stories celebrating MMA pioneer Roxanne Modafferi. You can read it right now on MMAfighting.com. It is written by the man that you are hearing from on the other end of that microphone, Sean El Shadi. No more paywalls for my guy Sean. He is free, and you can read his words, and they are lovely. And that story. Again, on MMA Fighting, Happy Trails to the Happy Warrior. Make sure go out and read that. Sean, I, I, listen, I'll get you out of here quickly. I know you're a busy man, but I do got to ask you about 271. This is an interesting fight card. Not just, obviously, we talked about Roxanne, but the co-main event between the heavyweights. We just had Tuivasa on the show and, obviously, the middleweight uh, uh, rematch. They're both exciting fights, I would say, for, for different reasons. Do you have a favorite of those? Is there one you're looking forward to uh, more than the other? Between those two, I mean that is tough, but I have to yeah. I have to side with the main event because that is just one of my most anticipated fights, just generally of 2022. Yeah. And I think the the way that this has sort of come about, it is very un UFC, if that makes any sense. Because the UFC, what do they love to do? They love these instant rematches. They love to throw the oh, to yeah. ruin the long game by playing the short game of just hey, let's throw these guys in again and again. Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw is one that always pops to mind. I'm just like we didn't need to see that a second time when we did, and it ended up sort of yeah. ruining Cody Garbrandt's career. They finally did it. They were finally patient. They let a story develop. Robert Whitaker went away. He was able to build a win streak. He was able to build that confidence back. He's talked about it himself, the mindset that he was in after that fight, before that fight, all of it. He's gotten, you know, several good wins now. He's gone back to his wrestling in a way that is really interesting compared to, you know, considering what we're dealing with with Izzy. And to me, this fight is fascinating now. If you would have booked this fight three years ago, two years ago, I would have been uninterested. It would have been, you know, just like, I don't know why we're doing this. But they let it marinate. 
And by letting it marinate, it is such a great fight. To me, it is one of the best fights on this schedule right now. And I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see how Robert Whitaker approaches this fight. People forget that Robert Whitaker was being looked at as a potential all-time great before Izzy came along. Like he had the resume in, in place and Izzy just came and took that from him. So to me, this is just a fascinating, fascinating fight. And I'm really interested to see, is this going to be the same as the first one? Or is Robert going to come in there and really switch things up and, and surprise some people? Because it does feel like he's being counted which out, is, I have to say. And which is insane because number way number one with the way the first fight ended, I mean, it wasn't a decision. It was I mean, it was a knockout. It was it was the way it was, right? Like that is for a guy like Whitaker, it's interesting because I do believe he has the ability to adapt. He's shown it before. He's a heady fighter for as much as he's a physical fighter. He really is a technical sort of wizard in there. And I don't, I'm not going to, you know, X's and O's compare him to an Israel Adesanya. I'm just saying the man is capable of showing different wrinkles in very violent ways. Uh, I'm endlessly intrigued by what he's going to bring to the cage on Saturday because Sean, uh, if he goes out there and gets a victory, you know, that whole instant rematch thing you hate, and yada, 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 I, I think you're probably going to see it in a trilogy fight pretty quickly, wouldn't you imagine? I would. I mean, that I won't complain about. If that's what we how we get a trilogy yeah, right. fight, that feels <laughs> right. deserved. Right, Because right. then it's there. Then the story right. is there, and every sort of, everything sort of makes sense. Right. I would be 100% fine with that. <laughs> it, it would actually be incredibly intriguing. Like, that's a level of – that's a challenge – for yeah. Izzy, a sort of hurdle for Izzy to overcome that we just haven't seen in this guy's career. The Jan thing was one thing, but he was reaching for something there, right? Like he was going for something that not a lot of people have achieved in this in this sport in general. So that was not really a knock on him. That was just, hey, you, you tried, you reached for it, it didn't work, go back down and you're, you're doing your thing. But to lose to Robert and then throw go into a trilogy fight, that is such a different dynamic. And that would be utterly fascinating if that's how this plays out. It would be. And you talked about, you know, people overlooking uh, Robert Whitaker. I agree with you. Um, I, I don't know if it's one thing. So I'll ask you, uh, was it more the loss to Adesanya the first time? Or do you think it's maybe the the lack of, oh, I don't know, zest? He doesn't he does not exactly a McGregor promo, right? He doesn't really <laughs> exactly bring that venom and that fire, which is fine. A lot of fighters have sold Fedor Emelianenko, one of the most heralded fighters in the history of this entire sport. He doesn't say a peep. He's just a dangerous-looking dude, and he fights dangerously. So um, I, I don't know. I can't make sense of it, but I do think Whitaker is being overlooked. What would you point your finger to as, as to the reason being why? Is Fedor dangerous-looking? I guess I've never really thought of him as dangerous looking. When he steps in a fucking, when he steps in a cage, he is. That's what I'm sure, talking about. When he starts, that's when, when he starts winging those hooks, yeah, he's terrifying. No, outside, no, he looks like he's, you know, very just walking out of the gas station and just just got day old donuts and a pack of Doritos. <laughs> no, man, like he's like the least dangerous looking fighter of all time. But no, yeah, no, pack a pack of cigs in, in a in a six pack. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do. But think he's got it that is. sweater. He's got, he's got sweater. that sweater can't forget the sweater it, i mean it ultimately it comes down to the reason people are, are treating it this way probably is the first fight right because it's hard not to yeah. go back and look at the first fight and it was just it was a wash it was it was not competitive and and from that since then we haven't really seen izzy be tested at 185 like he has been thoroughly no. dominant the yoel romero fight you can sort of point to uh the kelvin gaslam one was before that obviously but even those were kind of like the gasoline fight was great, but the Romero one was weird. And ever since then, it feels it almost like he's just coasting. Uh, and so the, I think that it's a combination of those two factors of Whitaker. The first loss was a really bad loss. 
like there's no way around it, but also just Izzy looks so supremely comfortable and levels above these guys at 185 right now. It's the perfect sort of mixture to get that, uh, that, that, that trap game, really that trap match, right. Where somebody's coming in and no one expects them to do this. And then maybe they can pull it off. It's MMA after all, as we said. So if Adesanya pulls it off, last question, uh, Sean, uh, it's obviously puts to bed a rivalry, his main rivalry in the middleweight division, not just regionally speaking, but competitive wise. Like you look at Robert Whitaker, if Adesanya is a champ, Whitaker's champ. I think most of us would agree with that. So uh, I think light heavyweight is probably out of the question. I mean, not probably it is. So Adesanya stays at 185. Um it's a good division. It's obviously there's dangerous people coming up. How would you make sense of uh, what would be next for Israel Adesanya, assuming he gets the victory on Saturday? It feels pretty tailor-made to have this be very easy and, and, and clean once UFC 271 gets finished because it's right up there on the card, right? Like Sean Strickland had a chance, right. and it felt like he didn't really take full advantage of that chance. He got the win, but maybe he didn't get the win in the way that would have ushered him uh, to skip the line, if you will. But it's right there. Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier, they're fighting like an hour before these guys. To me, it's clear cut. The winner of that fight has to go into to the title shot at this point. Derek Brunson has earned it. He has earned it time and time again. Yes, Blonde Brunson is undefeated, and you will respect that. And Jared Cannonier is. Blonde Brunson. <laughs> I'm just saying. And Jared Cannonier and Izzy. Have yeah, been no, hey, facts. Yeah. yeah. Jared yeah. Cannonier and Izzy have been interested in fighting each other really since this all began. It's one of the few guys that Izzy has sort of really targeted. Is like, hey, I can hope you can get to here because I would be interested in fighting you. So both of those to me are interesting. Uh, and whoever wins that fight to me feels like the clear cut number one. Yeah, you talk about hoping to get to that point. Uh, am I a terrible person for wanting Strickland to like get another win and be in title contention? Because I just want to see Israel Adesanya and Strickland go back and forth on a podium. I, I know he's problematic. I know he's borderline, not borderline. He can say some homophobic stuff. He can say some bigoted stuff. I mean, the dude is absolutely out there, but I mean, this is, this is the UFC, man. This is mixed martial arts. Like we Floyd may or Conor McGregor said to Floyd Mayweather dance for me, boy. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not like giving the thumbs up for it. I guess I'm just giving a thumbs up for chaos. And uh, yeah, I guess I am a terrible person, but I, I just, I, I, I would love to see what a Strickland Adesanya match would look like inside an octagon, but uh, outside the octagon, I got to imagine it'd be pretty chaotic too. And that's not always a bad thing for buy rates. And when it's authentic, Colby Covington, Colby Covington spits venom and hate and all that stuff. And no one gives a shit. Cause it's not authentic. Sean Strickland. I think it's kind of the opposite of that. My man, you know, me, I'm a big fan of chaos. You, you lay out a chaos scenario, I'm in. Let's do it. But you're right. Sean Strickland would bring a, a, a dynamic to the Izzy lead-up that we really haven't seen with Izzy, right? Like, he's going to go at Izzy in a yeah. way that no one else really has. Uh, and I'm just – I mean, yep. Izzy's a very quick-witted guy. Like, that would be some interesting just back and forth to watch, if nothing else. Oh, it reminds me of this. Remember, uh, Anderson Silva didn't really draw until he had the foil that was Chael Sonnen, and Chael used a lot of that same naughtiness, if you will, to boost Le Silva to a level that we hadn't seen prior. I could see Strickland, again, if he gets another win, uh, kind of being uh, that same sort of foil for Israel Adesanya. That's not to say people care about Izzy. I'm just saying it could take him to a new level. Did you just compare Sean Strickland to Chael Sonnen? Because that's the first person I've, do that. I've, I've heard do that. That's an interesting comparison. I don't know if I agree with you. But it is an interesting comparison. Well, 
Everyone needs a foil. You either, either need a great villain or a Dana White. And uh, if you can make an enemy of Dana White, that's a good foil as well as Tito Ortiz and George St. Pierre. And, T- and many others have shown throughout Nick Diaz throughout the history of the sport. Sean, Francis thank you Ngannou, so much, baby. man. Sorry for Fra- – hey, great point. Francis Ngannou. It never ends. Absolutely. And speaking of it never ending, the words never end over on MMA fighting. Sean Alshadi with his most recent piece up on Roxanne Modafferi. Make sure to go out and check that out because, boy, she deserves it. And, uh, you know, good words deserve it. And, Sean, you are one of the one of many in this sport with good words. And I always appreciate you stopping by and sharing your thoughts with us here on Unlocking the Cage. Thank you, man. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.